Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Mark Amarment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So the iPhone event was yesterday for the iPhone 12 series, and we're actually not going to really talk about that this week much because I, as far as we can tell, there's not much for developers to really do about it. The screen sizes are different, but it's a little hard to exactly tell how and why and what they'll feel like, and they don't seem that different. So it seems like for developers, there's not much to do yet until we can get these phones in our hands, and even then, maybe not much. So instead of talking about that, we're going to keep talking about Widgetsmith because personally, last week or last two weeks ago when we first talked about Widgetsmith and its massive explosion in the App Store, you know, we only had time for 30 minutes of, of talking about it and it was still very fresh and new. So I want to hear, Dave, I, I, if, if you're willing to share with the audience, I want to hear sure. just more about Widgetsmith, how it's going, how it's different now from how it was two weeks ago, and, and maybe how you see it going forward from here now that things have presumably um, calm down a little bit. I mean, I guess let's start with that. Have they calmed down a little bit? And, and I, I would say yes, they have. They're certainly not to the degree where, you know, there was a period of time when everything was sort of absurdly fast-paced in terms of the, you know, the number of downloads, the number of support requests, um, the, the, the number of places it was being sort of mentioned in the media or whatever that might be. Like that, there was a period where I, I couldn't keep track of it. And it was just like, honestly, that, that period of time is a bit of a blur at this point. Like there was a couple weeks where, it was just too much. Um, and while it's not like, oh, I wanted it, you know, I, I, I was looking forward to when it died down. Um, you know, it's nice when, you know, you're the number one app in the app store. That was, that was, I certainly appreciated that. Um, but it, I did not expect that to last forever. And it, it, it certainly didn't. I think it lasted a long time, though. <laughs> I mean, right now, like, so I just checked, like, right now you're number eight in the U, in, in, on my US chart. You're number eight free, uh, free app. And so you've been defeated by, some little company called Facebook, and you're still ahead of some other pretty big company called Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, so you're still doing pretty well. Yeah, oh sure, and I'm not complaining. I was more just it's just like it has sort of some context where it's like it was the number one app for a I think it was about two and a half weeks, um, just just shy of three weeks. Wow, um, it was number two app for about a week after that, and then now it seems to sort of be hanging out in the top ten. Um, and on the download side, sort of obviously because I can't control when like. Zoom has a big surge in downloads because some, you know, school district requires everyone to download it or something like that. Um, but on the download side, things are now sort of in this. It reminds me of many of the early days of the App Store where this was such the classic curve is you have this giant spike and then you have this kind of like decay graph where it's asymptotically approaching some number. And then you kind of end up into a steady state. And I had no concept for this app of like where that steady state was going to be. Um, but it seems like I found it. Like it seems like, you know, my day, my day to day downloads now are relatively stable, are relatively consistent. Um, and that's sort of a nice feeling that it's like I have a sense of, I don't know if this is the bottom of this app in terms of where it's going to you know, be long term, but it seems certainly that I'm in a place that it's, sort of it's what they would say in the stock market it's found resistance or something like there's a peer like the, this seems to be about the kind of daily downloads and the daily support requests and the daily whatever that i can kind of plan for and expect going forward um and it certainly is is, is landing at a very nice place you know number eight in the app store is by you know is is, 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 a, is is a wonderful place to be um and so that's seems nice and i think is, is helpful for me to be now as i'm starting to like move forward and to be actually not in like scramble panic mode 
but instead to be able to start you know actually treating this like a like like just one of my normal apps where I'm working on the next update you know I'm working right now I'm working on version 1.1 um, of which Smith and it's like that's expect that will probably come out in about a week or so um, and it's just I'm not in that sort of the frantic mode anymore because things have kind of settled down they're still doing very well but it's settled into a place that feels dependable and I think about it, the only thing that I'm kind of a little bit um, have anxiety around from a sort of a where things are perspective is as we're recording it's probably about three or four days before all of the subscriptions for the initial wave of subscribers to the app um, those monthly subscribers are going to start coming coming due um, and I'm very um, curious to see what that looks like um, in terms of how many of these people are going to sustain their subscription are going to con- you know keep their subscription um, are you know after the after they get charged it are they going to cancel are they already canceled and it's not going to renew like I'm very curious to see that because you as you know while at this point I know it sort of it seems like the download side has flattened out and is sort of in a stable place I you, I really we realistically can't have a can't say that my uh, subscriber base and the business side of the app is stable um, until at least I've had like two months uh, or you know sort of sort of two two different charges on the monthly side and then once I have a sense of how the monthlies go I can probably also then start to forecast um, how the annual subscriptions might go um, a year from now so that's sort of where things are with me and it's I think I'm very intrigued to see what happens in the next week with 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 sort of subscriptions but I mean the reality is even if sort of the subscription renewal rate isn't that great the new subscriber rate is still reasonable enough that i mean this is everything is still sort of great and wonderful in that way but it's certainly interesting for me to kind of wrap my head around what this actually is going to look like going forward you know when it's i'm not thinking about things on a day-to-day basis but on a month-to-month or a year-to-year basis going forward yeah you don't really know where that baseline is until you reach it you know yeah i think it's interesting i mean you know, some, something to point out about your 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 current status too. It's like if this is your baseline, number eight in the in the app store. Sure. Just just for reference, that little company uh, Snapchat that you're beating, um, they are worth forty billion dollars right now. Okay, <laughs> so just sure. just for reference, and I think it's also it's also worth um, noticing that you you didn't fall from number one because you've been beaten by other widget apps. Other widget apps are actually sure. way lower down the list. Like I, I see right now, Color Widgets is number 38 and you're number eight and there's no there's no other widget app in the middle there that, that, I, that I spotted. Um, and so it's interesting like that it's not that you're being beaten by a competitor. It's just, it's that the, the spike of the market that you're in, that you're on top of, that whole market is having its peak and now coming down to its baseline. Yeah. And I think that's I think that certainly seems to be the case. And it's I, I think I originally had a fear that there was going to be a tremendous amount of competition coming into this market, and it's I haven't seen that very much yet, which is interesting because I don't I mean and I don't know if it's just it hasn't happened yet that there are you know there are teams and teams of developers all over the world trying to make widget apps right now that are going to you know try and swoop in and. Um, sort of surpass widget smith and that may be the case and i don't but it see i was i'm surprised that about a month into this i haven't seen any of that and that there have been lots of other widget apps and there are different i mean some of them i think are amazing like i love uh, scriptable um is this amazing app that lets you make totally like like i, I talk about you know widgets widget smith is custom widgets scriptable um is which also made by an indie developer is like the extreme version of that where you're actually programming widgets with JavaScript and like you can do 
anything you want. Like that's awesome. And I love that. And like from a competition perspective, like that feels good um, that there's going to be those other apps, but it doesn't seem like yet that there's some big, like, you know, VC backed company that's going to come in and just spend millions of dollars on search ads so that they can kind of like buy the market or something out from under me. And that just doesn't seem to be the case. And it seems like widget Smith still has the sort of the, the mind share in terms of, um, it's the leader in the industry for this particular kind of thing. So like, yeah, but it is kind of cool to, that, 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 that sort of didn't collapse uh, in a way that I really, if I'm honest, I kind of expected uh, it to, that at some point it'd be like, oh, once the idea was out in the world and people knew what it was, um, that they would just be the sudden, you know, because like what I'm doing is not technically um, prohibitive for someone to sort of to, re- to reproduce. You know, while I had some advantages because I'd done a lot of this work before, it's not the kind of thing that I think, you know, there's some novel algorithm that I'm uh, using here that would be hard for someone to recreate. You know, most of what I'm doing is just, you know, a sort of configuration stuff and then basic Swift UI. So, like, that certainly is an interesting aspect of this. But, yes, it's, it is nice that it, it doesn't seem like it's uh, sort of new competition is just like, you know, sort of sprung up out of nowhere and then overrun me. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me, too, because I, I would have assumed otherwise. I would have assumed that, Pretty much anything that sits on top of the app store for any amount of time immediately gets tons and tons of clones and ripoffs. And while you did see a few of those, they didn't seem to really get anywhere. And uh, and what competition you do have seems like it's it's not just ripping you off; it's doing its own thing, which is nice. Yeah, and and, and I feel good about that. Like, I mean, I like that. You know, it's like I am totally happy if I just I you know I I can there's a certain kind of widget that I do really well and I just keep making those and I can certainly continue to improve the app and add more things and so on. But I'm not going to I'm not go, there are certain segments of the widget market that I'm not going after. And I think that is working. Like I feel good about that. You know, I, I, I don't, there was a period of time in my like to do list for the app where I was like, Oh, what if I make it so that you can do like, you know, give it an arbitrary JSON endpoint and you can download that and then parse it and then, I'll display the data in a widget. And it's like, I just, I don't, ultimately I stayed away from it because it's just, it's so much more complicated. And I'm glad I did in some ways because there's other apps that are going to do that kind of thing, that really niche audience thing in a much better way than I will. Um, and I can just f- continue focusing on kind of more the pure u- pure utility, um, obviously the more aesthetic side of widgets. And I can just sort of double down and focus there Rather than if this had ended up being the power tool kind of that I expected it to be, um, that would have been more more challenging uh, for for me to just sort of stay away from those edges. But I like kind of like honestly that I'm not I, I can stay away from those edges and not worry about it too much. Well, and it seems like most of your customer base is not demanding a power tool. Like it seems like the reason this app succeeded in, in the way that it has is mostly for relatively non power uses. Yes. I mean, I think, and obviously I'm, I can only base this in some ways. Like I don't have, every now and then I, I go back and forth on whether or not I should have had it or whether I should add analytics to the app in terms of to know which configurations and which types of widgets are being used in the app uh, most. Um, and I've thought about this because obviously if, to answer a question like that would be really interesting in terms of knowing what are the, you know, what's the most commonly installed widget um, that's being used at any, at any at any given time, and while I w- it's interesting to know that, I feel more nervous about adding that than I would have for any other application that I've done. Because 
while I think there's a way to collect that in a truly anonymous fashion that doesn't, you know, get me into weird privacy issues or concerns, the scale and the scope of that is so much broader than any of my other products that it's like, I think I'm doing it right in some of my other things where I collect basic device information or, you know, knowing which iPhone people are running or which watchOS version they're running or things like that. But it's like, if I do something wrong with this, it's like rather than it's now it's dealing with, you know, millions of people's personal data and that's a lot scarier. And so I'm, I still feel good about not including any of that kind of uh, analytics into my applications, but it is definitely interesting to me to, to just like, mostly I'm judging what people are using the app for based on like people who are tagging the app um, on Twitter or sort of screenshots I see or articles that are written like that seems to be the way that I'm sort of being able to collect that obviously or I guess in customer support to some degree um, but I'm just sort of guessing as to what it's being used for and I think the the primary uses are relatively straightforward um, which is nice in terms of it's like most people are like if I had to guess the number one widget people are using is the photos widget the number two most used widget is the date widget and the number three is probably the photo with the date. Like, it's a very straightforward, it's a very easy uh, thing. And I think one thing that I'm increasingly wondering about people not, they're not being this onslaught of kind of copycat apps or whatever you wanted to say, like people trying to kind of come in and compete in this space, is all of those are sort of aspects of the of the app that are completely free and are completely like, uh, there's no barrier to entry. I'm not upselling on those, which you know maybe is a, is a discussion around my business model, but certainly makes it so that there's not a lot. I'm not leaving sort of. I'm not leaving space for someone to come in and undercut me, which would be the typical way that this would happen. That like if I had if Widgetsmith had been a 99 cent app, and it had done well still, like people had still downloaded it. It's like the obvious place for someone to come and compete is to make the free version that has lower features. Or, or if I had gated the photo widget in some way or you could only have two widgets and then you had to unlock the, the extra with free it's like i went took the other extreme where i went very generous and it leaves a lot like very little space for someone to come in and say you know i'm gonna i'm gonna beat you on price i'm gonna beat you on something else because like most of my users aren't paying me anything and that's fine for me like it's doing it's worth working out well overall because um, i know you know a high enough percentage of people are but it, it maybe it's a slightly sort of it's one of the few things that I can do from a competitive perspective to sh- to keep competition away is to just keep you know keep, keep being generous to my customers and I think that helps hopefully also just sort of engendering in goodwill that if down the road um, I do need to make adjustments to my business model or create new opportunities for people to to, to buy things inside of the app um, they'll feel positively about them to such a degree that um, you know I'm, I'm build- I can I can cash in on that goodwill in the future potentially yeah that's first of all you, people if you want to hear more about this uh, you should listen to Dave's episode of the talk show with John Gruber that came out and what about a week ago yeah it was a little over a week ago yeah because uh, you go into a lot more detail on that that we can cover in 30 minutes um, but I, I really like this approach of you know, like, like one of the lessons I learned with Instapaper, you know, Instapaper did very well for a while, but eventually um, Pocket and a little bit of readability, but mostly Pocket, really kicked my ass in, in user count and resources and everything because they did two things. Number one, they made the app free. Number two, they raised VC money, and that allowed them to hire a staff and do all sorts of stuff that I really couldn't do as a one-person operation. 
And and I learned from that a, a bunch of lessons that I carried into Overcast. And and one of the biggest ones was, you know, if I want to compete on a certain level, I need a staff. I decided not to go that way, but I recognize like that's a need if you want to compete in a certain way. Yeah. Um, but number two, I realized that that you know what you were just saying of like. I had to make the app free because the reason why they got so many users is that my app was a paid upfront app and theirs was a free upfront app. And that makes a huge difference. And I left this giant area under my like, you know, four or $5 price tag most of the time um, to, for anybody to come in and make the free version. And, and so they did and it worked. And if you leave any space for people to undercut you, they will. And so it's really, it's interesting when you can find a way to succeed in a way that no one, that, that leaves very little to no room for anyone to easily undercut you. And that's hard to do. It's hard to find ways to actually make money that way to fund your own business. Um, but like, and even with Overcast, like I, I made the decision early on that like it was always going to be a free app and I'd find other ways to make money like, you know, in-app purchases or, you know, patronage or ads or whatever it was. But it took me years to figure out that balance. But the whole time, I never regretted being free up front because I was able to get tons of users because I did the exact same thing to all the other podcast apps that Pocket had done to me. I came in with a free version, and every other like nerdy podcast app at that time was like 3 to $5. And I got tons of users as a result because for a long time, they, they wouldn't or couldn't drop their prices. They all eventually did because that's where the market went. Um, but that was... It was a huge sigh of relief for me every day to not have to worry, like, do I have a new free competitor? Do I have a new free competitor? Because I was the free competitor. And so I was leaving no room for other people to come in and kill me the way Pocket did with Instapaper. Yeah, and I think it's there's an element there of it's, especially this is, and this is the thing I love the most about the indie model of like kind of the way that you and I are running our businesses is that while obviously... Like the, the company that is has the big staff and has the you know sort of the VC money behind them, they're able to go free. And in many ways, they're trying. They're sort of they're making a bet that they can spend a bunch of money now and then recoup you know some multiple of that in the future. That they're by going free now, they're building up their audience, and then at some point they can turn on the money tap and money will start to flow and it'll exceed the money they've spent. But the nature of that kind of arrangement is that because the overhead at the beginning is so high, it's like you're, you know, it's like you have this very limited runway that you're operating on. And at some point, there's like, there's, there's these, like, there are these two lines on a graph of like your revenue going up, hopefully, and your, you know, your sort of your costs cumulatively. And at some point, like the money's going to run out or the, those two lines are going to cross in a good, like they can cross, if they never, if they're if sort of like, they can cross in a good way where suddenly, you know, the business becomes sustainable and profitable and everything's good. Or you can go the other way where suddenly you've just like run out of money. And there's not like, while venture capital has, you know, it's a lot of money. And you think about these deals where you hear, even a small deal is like $5 million or $10 million. Like when you start, if that's suddenly being spent on 10 people um, and they're, you know, the overhead and the staffing of that, it's actually not that much time you have. Um, but being sort of taking the indie approach, it's like the thing that I like is it's like my runway is very long and I'm in this for the, you know, for the very long, the very long term um, because all I need to do is cover my living expenses. All I need to do is, have this baseline level of income that is much more sustainable, much more obvious than if I'm, you know, someone's coming in and saying they're going to invest $5 million and they expect that in three years the company will be worth $25 million. Like 
that difference is so that is such a higher risk investment, a such higher sort of com- complexity thing, versus coming in sort of on the indie level where the expenses are so small that it doesn't. Ha- I, I don't have that pressure on me in the same way. And if I, t- you know, if I, and I think this is something that I was really interesting watching you with Overcast is that you do, I don't have to have the fear necessarily that I, I get, this, get the business model right the first time. Like you changed the model, the business model with Overcast many times and it was fine. And it was, you know, it's like you, you could take your time with it. You could give each approach um, a little bit of air to breathe, see if, it, see if it works and then be like, hmm, you know, maybe that's not quite what I want. Let me try this other slightly different thing and kind of adjust. And you have the time and the flexibility to do that because each, it's like it does, you don't have to get it hit it out of the park on that very first try um, because otherwise it all kind of falls apart and fails. Yeah. And, and, you know, the great thing is with Widgetsmith, you know, you're going to find out over the, over the coming months, how well the subscription model that you have in place now will work out over over time. And, and first of all, you know, like, as you were saying, like the, the numbers are very different between an indie versus like a company. Like if, if you as an indie, make a you know like high six figures on your app every year that's incredible whereas if a company makes the high six figures that's that has a staff of five or six people that's not enough money to <laughs> to pay them like that's in the, you're probably in the red you're, you're probably losing money at that point right exactly and so like like the, the the numbers matter so much you know as you were saying but but also you know you now have an incredible asset which is you have an yeah. app with a giant install base so even if most of them aren't paying you. And even if, you know, you're making nothing from the vast majority of them most of the time or all the time, you still have this giant asset that you can always tweak. You can always issue an update that adds more stuff that they can pay for. If you if times get very desperate, you can always put ads in the client app. And, you know, I, I wouldn't put ads in their widgets. That's tacky. But, like, you can always put ads in the client app. And, and, like, you have options, you know, and just by having this giant asset. So, as you said, like, you don't have to have nailed it the first time. Speaking of ads, we are brought to you this week by, I'm so good at the transitions, brought to you this week by Tower. If you are a a, a developer or a designer, you most likely work with Git. The question is, are you getting the most out of it? If you find yourself constantly Googling Git commands and not using Git's more advanced features because you're worried about breaking it, today's sponsor can help. This is Tower. Tower offers a better way to work with Git. Imagine you could undo mistakes in Git with a simple keyboard shortcut like Command-Z for undo. Or you can deal with pull requests directly on your desktop. You can use interactive rebase or cherry pick a commit simply via drag and drop. You can clone a repo from GitHub with a single click. Tower lets you do all of that and so much more. So you can finally take advantage of Git's powerful feature set in a beautiful GUI app that makes you more productive every single day. And Tower is a fully native desktop Mac app. This is not an Electron app. It's just it isn't just like, you know, shelling out to commands. It's a better way to work with Git. I personally use use Tower. I, I use it since it was called Git Tower. I subscribe. I use their paid plan way before they were a sponsor. I use it almost every day. I know how to use the Git command line, and I do still use it on servers when I have to. But when I'm on my desktop, I use Tower because it's so much nicer. I, I love using it to review my changes. The diff view is great. Being able to like stage individual lines or individual chunks, it's so, so nice. 
I strongly recommend using Tower to, to work with Git on your desktop. More than 100,000 developers and designers use Tower to be more productive with Git, from beginners to experts, from indies and startups all the way to Fortune 500 companies. So go to git-tower.com. That's git-tower.com. And you can get a 30-day free trial and use coupon RADAR50 and new users will get a 50% discount. So that's git-tower.com and code RADAR50 for new users for a 50% discount. Our thanks to Tower for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I'm curious, Dave, what are you, where are you headed now? Like, what's, what's your plan for the next month or two? The, the first thing I had to do was to like, pull myself out of the day-to-day madness of the app in some ways, where like for a, the, the, like in the first week or the first week and a half of the app, like I was doing a new update like every day almost like for, it was, it was a bit absurd and it was perhaps in retrospect, a bit unnecessary um, and may have actually caused some problems in, in retrospect. But it, it, you know, there was some amount of that is like when you have a, if you have a, a bug that causes like 0.05 of uh, percent of sessions to crash and that's, you know, you, you only, you only have 10,000, uh, sessions um in a day like that's actually not that many people who are encountering that that uh, that crashing bug but when you start to deal with millions or tens of millions it becomes like oh goodness like you know when when i see the crash number in and app analytics and it's measured in millions like that's problematic and that (laughs) That that was a little overwhelming and something that like i just had to you know sort of deal with and some of them were really you know my mistakes some of them are just ios 14 issues that i think are getting better in subsequent versions like i had the sort of in some ways a lot of this was on hard mode because you know this was the the app sort of like blew up on version 14.0.0 so like this wasn't even after (laughs) apple had done any bug fixing on the os so like there's lots of the and it's like eventually at some point i had to be like this is not sustainable for me or it's not good for my customers i need to just like you know take a step back and understand that it's better for me to have a slightly more thoughtful approach and so what i'm doing now you know, as I'm working on uh, version 1.1, is it has a whole bunch of sort of bug fixes and performance stuff and it issues with deals, you know, sort of problems like that. Um, and then also, I'm starting to work towards, you know, sort of slightly realigning the app with what it seems like people actually are caring about it for. So, like, they're actually making it making the tool, it's a, be- a better tool for making kind of aesthetic changes to your home screen, which seems to be the primary reason that people are using it. And so, you know, like I'm doing things like being able to export um, a wallpaper image in a solid color that coordinates with the colors that you choose inside of the app, for example. Like it's a relatively straightforward feature. It's just I'm exporting a, you know, a solid color PNG. Like there's nothing clever about that, but it's like because it integrates with the color system inside of Widgetsmith, it seems like it's an obvious place to go where I'm adding a few other types um, of customization and flexibility. Like actually one of the ones that I've been enjoying recently and has been a huge amount of fun is I'm designing a whole set of clock hands and sort of clock customizations. You know, essentially this is, this is me exploring my uh, you know, custom watch face um, itch that I've, I've had for years and years. Um, I finally get to express that in a way that um, is actual like intangible to my customers. And so that's been really fun. Um, and I'm just kind of starting to go down this road of focusing the app around like, A, it's the making it st- sort of stable and reliable um, and then work- sort of working on rounding out some of the aesthetic choices um, in the app to make it so that it really, like you can customize it however you want. Um, and then I'm also starting to do some sort of thinking around where I want to go from here. And I say in terms of making, I think there's a lots of opportunities here when I see 
the interest that people have in kind of the um, our art and design aspects of it. Like you read, I mean, it's fascinating to read these stories of these people who are selling icon packs for um, shortcuts where they are, you know, totally replacing all the icons on their, their home screen and things like that. And I'm, at this point, I'm not really going down that road, but I think there's some, some middle ground between the totally crazy, wonderful, but crazy version of, you know, custom app icons to things that I can do in the app that have a slightly more you know, giving, having a slightly, having a bit more artistic um, flair inside of it, because most of what I'm d- I've been doing so far um, is very um, just sort of geometric and basic, and so that's kind of the approach that I'm taking right now. And I think my hope is that I'll just sort of get get into that rhythm. And I think something that I have sort of is probably worth saying that I've had to tell myself, and I think it's been really helpful for me, is the things that have made Widget Smith successful are the things that I need to keep doing that aren't different because it's has a bigger audience that like the way that I develop and my process and what I do, my initial instinct when the app had such a large, much larger audience than any of my other apps and such a broader reach, my initial thought was, Oh my goodness, I need to change everything about what I do. I need to be like, you know, doing this whole sort of doing this differently. And it's like, no, be slow, methodical, like build the apps. Like you built all your other apps. Like that's a much better approach. That's what I have 12 years of experience doing I shouldn't be changing. And so that's what I'm doing is mostly just like taking a deep breath, not getting overwhelmed when I see like the, the volume of the, of crashes or of numbers. It's like be, be thoughtful, be methodical and just keep moving forward. And my hope is that that will be a better fit both for me personally and my mental health, um, as well as for customers uh, in the long run, because I'm not in a rush. I don't need like, it's, it's a bad mentality for this, for me to think of this as a sprint. It's like, this is a marathon. Hopefully widget Smith will be a part of my life for years to come. And so I need to be, you know, patient and thoughtful about it um, rather than sort of frantic and crazy like I was. Well, you are definitely very thoughtful and methodical. I would never use the word slow to describe you. Though. Sure. <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, thank you for sharing, Dave. Thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.